Welcome to another episode of More Score. And we're not in our usual uh, location here. I happen to be traveling, but I have the, the privilege of speaking with Natalie Holt, whose music to Loki is uh, currently up for Emmy consideration. And Natalie, you have been very busy <laughs> uh, working on several shows. Obi-Wan Kenobi is now coming out as well. Um, yeah. And I know you're working on a couple features. So uh, first off, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be in L.A. for a few for a week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've been traveling all over the place for this, but um, I wanted to jump it. So we'll start talking with Loki. I also want to know just a little bit about your background because you have a really interesting path to being a composer. And so I'll ask you a bit about that. But um, but why don't we start off? I know I went back in preparation and read a little bit of your some some interviews or comments that you gave, I think, shortly after Loki was first released. This is such a weird COVID period. It's hard to keep track of when, what happened. But I know one of the big things was the scale of the music for this show is bigger than anything that you've done before. And so I was curious, just as a composer coming in and, you know, realizing that this needed to be huge <laughs> how daunting that was or if you could even maybe it's the type of thing where you just got to put blinders on and stay focused and say i gotta i gotta get going and and see where that gets me what was that like coming in when you must have known this is going to be an immense lift um i think i had to just not think about it <laughs> and i think COVID just helped with that i was like i'm just gonna you know they had a really good kind of support system in place like for weekly reviews and you know you felt like you were part of a team and Kate Heron was just so supportive and I think she'd been through that same process because you know she directed um some second block of sex education but it was a big step up for her as well like it was a big step up for a lot of the heads of department and I think we all we were all saying this last night because I met up with um, Michael Waldron and Kate Heron for dinner, and we were just saying like everyone brought their best game, like they everyone like knew it was a step up and delivered in all departments. Like I think across the board, like amazing cinematography and um, design, like just the look of the show, and yeah, I just I felt like it was it was kind of easier to work when you just when everyone was so much part of a team and Marvel, Marvel definitely liked to make that happen as well. What was it? How nervous were you in the middle of all of the many things that a Marvel show has to be, especially one like this? Cause this is one of the big long anticipated series, you know, Marvel series. It's not the one that comes out of nowhere and, uh, and then is released on Disney plus. This was like publicized for a while. Um, it was, it was, you know what? I just feel like Marvel, they, they give you enough space to be creative. Well, they did with me. I don't know. Um, so I had this period with Kate where we were just playing around with stuff that we liked. And they were just like, Kevin Feige would come in and he listened to the first episode and he just was like, just make it, push it, make it weirder. And that's that's so nice. And he was like, I love it. You know, they were really supportive. Like um, Louis Desposito rang up and he was like, I've just watched a screening and I just loved your score. Like, and you know, when you're hearing that, it's like, Oh, cool. Okay. I can do this. And it's, it's, it's like giving positive feedback. So helpful for a composer. It makes you feel kind of like, okay, I got this. Like I've, I'm, you know, I just need to keep going and 
it's it's so nice it's it's so much um and and not being too kind of micromanaging of like we need your score to do this can you copy this temp track can you hit this arm movement over here and could you make you know it's like you, you get into the weeds sometimes with details and luckily that didn't happen on this um it was always bigger picture as well it was like we'd have a review session and we'd watch 15 minutes like we'd see all the cues like we wouldn't just focus in on one we'd kind of watch it in a stretch and see how everything was fitting together so it the felt holistic quite view yeah holistic view yeah it was and it was just like it's just really nice you know when you share a, a similar taste to the director as well like Kate and I just our record collections are kind of similar and like the cues that we like in movies are kind of similar so that's just one of those joyous things that the job just melds and gels and you know it doesn't always happen I know that but yeah it was just really wonderful I look, I look back at it and it's like a really happy happy time to have been working on 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 that and be part of that team there was an interesting uh approach to this series because and I know I know you've mentioned in the past this kind of felt like a movie like one long multi-episode movie um but you also scored this in a way that not many shows are ever scored, which is you started at the end and then kind of blueprinted out and maybe reverse engineered some things. And I, I want to maybe talk me through the process of why you felt that approach would work for this show um, and what that maybe helped you accomplish in the early episodes. Um. Yeah, I think it, it's just this thing of like um, doing the suite as well. It's like um, some, when you kind of a, approach a blank canvas, it could be anything. And that's the most terrifying moment is like, oh, I've got the job. Um, right. What do I do? And it's like that moment's always really terrifying, whatever the job is. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of that first leap into it and just kind of, um, yeah, setting out those temp poles that then allow you, you like watch a scene and then you can start hearing the themes for each character. You're like, well, this scene's got this character and this character and they're in this era. So maybe, or, you know, it's this mood and, but it's like, it, it gives you, yeah, your temp poles and then you can build out from there. And then, you know, by the, so if you know where you're going in episode six, then it, it allows you to seed backwards. And yeah, for me, that was just a really great work process and, and, and approaching it. Like it's not just episodes. It's like the bigger picture thing the whole time. That that seems to be something Kevin Feige and his team really encourage. Yes. And, and that shines through. So for anyone who hasn't watched this in the last, you know, eight months that it's been out or whatever, it's been quite a while now. Um, it's, it's well worth a watch. Um, the another thing that is really interesting here is the use of a theremin and the way that you brought in an instrument that is, I mean, maybe most famous for its use in what, like the 1920s, 1930s, like quite a while ago. It's a very weird thing, but people still play this. Yeah. Um, so this was like part of lockdown. Um, I worked for this library music company and they did this thing where they got all their clients to just like play musical past the parcel with a piece of with like a theme and then he passed it on and on and, and the person I got mine from was Charlie Draper who's a 
a theremin player. And then we just connected and he's a really cool guy. He's he's not trained to as a musician. He trained to be uh, an archaeologist and specializing in Egyptology. And like he works for the Ordnance Survey, like mapping. Oh, so wow. it's just like, right, so this is just some hobby. And he's got like a pile of a big collection of, of theremins and honors martinots as well. So he was just he's a big Marvel fan. So when I got the job, he played for me on the pitch, which I think helped make the pitch sound better. Um, and then he just, he was just so, such a great collaborator. And he was like, send me anything and I'll just give you loads of versions and I'll play them on all my different instruments. And, you know, it was just, it's great when you, when you find a pool of musicians who just want to play your music, because you're only as good as the people playing your music, aren't you, as a composer, I think. <laughs> the instrument is... You know, it's one of those things where, like, the instrument itself is such a weird. Uh, maybe you can describe it, but basically, it's electrical interference of some sort that I think is what causes the sound. Right? It's like it's a a metal object, and it's the distance of your you're hand playing, to. Yeah, you're playing these metal rods, and it's basically to do with where you place your hand affects the sort of feedback loop and creates a tone, and then it creates this really unearthly, haunting sound. Um, and it's also got a very, it's very textured. It's very different, like from a sort of synth uh, sound, I think. It's just so much rich. Yeah. So um, it was just very, it, it felt, it became a real voice in the score. And like what started off, because in, in the first episode, there's like a a montage, like an animation when Loki arrives at the TVA to show him like what the TVA is. And it's, it's sort of a 1950s cartoon and the theremin was more like used there as a kind of effect theremin that you hear in an old B-movie sci-fi film. And then by the end of the score, it was, was singing. It was like it was a voice. It sort of was like it was this, you know, it had developed from being an effect to being like a its own kind of really powerful emotion. Well, it does have that really amazing texture that just feels like so it's it it's thick and kind of like you know i don't know why maybe it's just the kind of analog beauty of it um yeah, in a digital world so. but it's really yeah. cool how it all comes together um what i know it's been a while since the series was uh released and even longer since you finished now with a few months the benefit of a few months hindsight what was your favorite part of working on this series well uh it's just changed my life. Like, there's no way I would be, um, you know, put up for the kind of job that I'm being put up for now, working on Star Wars. Like, it's just changed, you know, it put me in more of a public forum and made more people aware of my work, I suppose. So that's is that my favourite thing. I think my <laughs> relationship with Kate, <laughs> like, I'm in her room at the moment because <laughs> oh, we've just wow. been doing okay. this. <laughs> but with, she's like because it's you know you work with people and you get work colleagues and they're just work colleagues but like that's you know we met up in London because we've been working together for like a year on Zoom because and we're just properly like friends so that's like a really nice outcome as well and um yeah just it's nice when you kind of part of a team and it's it just meshes and it works and I know it's rare because. It just, not every job, you don't come away from every job feeling like this. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. 
I do want to ask you about Star Wars, a question about Star Wars. But first, I wanted to just kind of go back. I have tried to dig up a little bit of your composer path. But I wanted to start maybe before even what um, anyone has asked you about and ask you, what was your first kind of musical eureka moment when you thought, hey, this this is a pretty cool, uh, you know, element that I can play with, that I can either write things for, play things for. What was your first moment that stood out to you musically? Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. I think, well, because, so I got sent the, um, uh, like, the time theater to pitch. I had to do a pitch. And, um, oh, you know what? I'm talking in your life journey, not even for this one show. That your oh, first sorry. musical oh, love. What was your first musical love that you can remember? Oh, yeah, way back. <laughs> Maybe not that far back, but way back. Um. Oh gosh. Okay. Um. Oh, E. T. Like I remember. Really? Like, okay. The, yeah, I remember watching E. T. as a kid and just hearing that music and the bikes taking off. And I was like five, I think, when I saw that. And um. I think that was just, and, and then hearing that music in my head after I'd finished watching the film and feeling that, because I loved the film so much, um, and I just felt like the music just made a huge impact on me. And, and you know, that's probably um, an early piece. And then I think it's things like you grow up, my dad's a big jazz um, fan, like he, he was in the Air Force and he played in a jazz band and he was always playing like Miles Davis and stuff at home on records and and my mum was really into James Taylor. So it's like those car, you know, going on holiday on a long car journey and James Taylor would be on. A- <laughs> and you'd hear like folk kind of Joni Mitchell and th- things your parents play. My mum's a cellist as well. So she was always um, playing classical music at home. And my, yeah, it was just a lot of music going on. So that must so have been probably- the origin of this quartet that you formed uh, for a few years then. And I forget, was it a music school then that, that, is it Raven Quartet or okay? Yeah. All right. Um, I saw a capital V in some of the some of the clips of this, <laughs> so I wasn't sure how it was pronounced. But how did that come ben. about? <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to I, I played the violin. That was um, my grandma was a violinist, and so I had her violin, and I don't know, I just sort of picked it up. I sort of loved the cello, though. I was slightly regret not being a cellist. <laughs> I think it's a <laughs> such a useful instrument and I can just it's like horrible going because your technique as a violinist is it's not translatable to the cello I'm really like, I, oh I don't yeah think. I guess that makes sense it's so different, such a different like pressure and way of holding your hand that feels so unnatural when you've trained but anyway so I went to the Royal Academy on the violin um and then left and went to film school and then I was assisting um, Elan Eshkari for a while, but I was just not getting, you know, I'd got this master's in film composing, but I wasn't getting any work and I was unpaid as an assistant. So I was, I just formed a quartet to kind of do gigs and kind of keep the bills paid, <laughs> but as opposed to teaching. Um, and we did, we got to go on tour with George Michael and played with Matt. I saw that. Olympics. Yeah. Crazy at the Olympics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that was on viola, because I was like, oh, I'll just sit in the middle on viola. It'd be a bit easier. <laughs> I was, it was a cop out. But, and I was arranging all the um, music that we were playing as well. So, and, and then we got um, hired to do, be part of a session orchestra. 
Um, so I was, I've actually played on a lot of film soundtracks and worked for a lot of film composers. So that was just amazing, sitting in the violas and taking that in and, and yeah, having sort of, I don't know, whatever it was, seven or eight years playing before. Then when I when I was 30 something I, I contacted Martin Phipps and I was I just was like I really want to try this film composing thing like it's I've got so far from you know I've got this master's and I love it but it's I'm, I'm gonna have another crack so I met up with Martin Phipps for a coffee and he was like oh yeah if anything comes up I'll keep you in mind and and then yeah I started working for him again and then that's sort of where things took off to and I think was it Great Expectations that was the first big yeah. project you worked on yeah, that was a, and Martin's just, he's such a like generous guy. Like he always credits people and, you know, makes you visible. Like you're, you're there in the recording and he's just, he makes you part of the process, but he also makes your contribution visible. So, um, yeah, that's that, cause obviously if you're assisting someone and you're not making those connections and Martin would do things like, he'd turn a show down and he'd say, well, I'll produce it, but you know, I'm turning it down. So if you want, I'll put your name forward for it. So he was trying to help people who, who assist him as well, rather than keeping them. Assisting. Yeah. I think it's important <laughs> to try and do that. Yeah. Try, I try and think about that now going on and, and going to film school and being generous with helping people coming up as well. I think it's, it's really important to do that. I am almost certain that you have probably been asked this many times, but there's a clip circulating or that has circulated of Britain's Got Talent and you throwing an oh, egg God. at Simon Cowell. <laughs> Very weird. I actually couldn't find the, the clip itself, but I found a CNN report about it, which was v treating this very seriously. And oh, I know. Gosh. <laughs> what is the story? What exactly was this all about? I know the quartet competed in Britain's Got Talent, but um, but what was this all no, about? We were, we, no, we were, we were kind of like um, part of the. We used to just play in the backing orchestra for people, and I did. I've been I've been doing it for many years, like since I was I don't know eighteen or nineteen, and you see all these contestants coming through, like. Um, you know, young kids and like really talented people. And um, I just have an issue coming through musical training with nurturing people's talent, like, and making sure that they have some longevity with their career, not just like using people up in a second for, for a talent show. I know people are kind of putting themselves forward for it, but I just, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of, I'd had enough of it. I'd really, I'd got to a point. I was like, I just think this, there's something wrong with this system. And I just don't know. I decided to make a little protest, but <laughs> this was obviously, it went a bit wrong. this was some years ago, <laughs> obviously, but, um, oh, yeah, it was like years ago, and I really, I, I, maybe it was a bit of a moment of madness <laughs> and, you know, maybe the kind of thing Loki would do. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I definitely would not, do it again and it was it was a bit way out though yeah. was the so <laughs> was sure. it pre-planned then that you, you not really no it was like for the moment on the day i think i'm just gonna yeah i yeah <laughs> well they got some uh some mileage out of it obviously so it ended up working maybe in their uh in their ratings favor but um 
but yeah, <laughs> that's so. a nice little, a nice little thing to, you know, put on your bucket list of, uh, having, you know, maybe hit Simon Cowell with an egg. Maybe not quite. I forget. It wasn't clear how they <laughs> laid it out, but pretty funny anyway. Um, so what was your, I know, so great expectations. You, you kind of start to jump into film composing at that point. I know you then worked on a number of kind of, you know, they're not small, but they're smaller compared to Loki for sure. Different projects. Um, and I wanted to ask you the difference between a lot of those projects. And then obviously when you come into the, the Marvel system and like things are big and this is, you know, like there's a lot of uh, resources. There is a lot of things that you maybe have to think through at multiple levels that some of the earlier projects you could record yourself or you could, you know, like things like that. What are the key differences maybe in the scale, the change in the scale of the uh, project that you're writing music for? Um, so I found that um, there was like a really creative um freedom with it like marvel really want people to bring their best game to the job like they want to support people um so i had this sort of kate was very le much leading that the director and then there was also parallel to that like a real this is we have a system for creation and we have a system for getting things to a certain level and we we like this this whole idea of writing a suite and having music editors temping that in and, um, you know, how you deliver to the music editors so they have stems, they can, you know, take a theme and then put something else underneath. And, and yeah, there was just a bigger team. Like, we had weekly reviews every Wednesday. You present, you show revisions, um, and it was just, it felt, yeah, very much part of a team. Like, it did, like I don't know, on some indie movies, you kind of, I'll go away and do something and I'll see you in a month. You know, it just feels unstructured. And this just felt like a really thought through structure that I, I really enjoyed the deadline of having that delivery every Wednesday, but also that creative relationship going alongside. And it, I'm like, I want to recreate that because it really worked. Like I, I've, I tried to kind of encourage a job I was on recently to um, like, can we have weekly reviews? Cause they're just so good. And also seeing stuff like on a zoom, you know, like you have a weekly review, but you're watching on zoom or something. And it's like, I can't tell, I can't hear how my work's being presented. And it was very much like on audio movers and, you know, you're getting full spec, like my work was being presented at a really, you know, one of the music editors was just balancing the demos with, you know, like doing a sort of rough mix. So your work's always been presented in a really high standard as well. And I know that the remote aspect of this is a completely different challenge, really, especially with the Marvel series and maybe also with, you know, the, the other project going on now, the Star Wars thing, although maybe not as much as remote as it was during, you know, all of the middle of COVID. But um, but I understand that a lot of the musicians were not allowed to see the clips of the show that they maybe were playing in. Is that how that went down? It's like extremely secretive. And so if everything's remote, there's even more security issues that you would need to kind of figure out. So what was that like? Yeah, that was cha challenging. Um, like the recording sessions um, in Budapest uh, and 
And when I was recording people, the soloist, it was all just, I'd have to send them the music and then get it back and tweak it. So yeah, it was like, I couldn't, I, w- I was recording away from picture very often. So that was, that was challenging. It's been really nice to, you know, the, like on Obi-Wan, uh, I was recording with picture in the studio, like it was always running and you could, you can be like, oh, let's do that again. Let's try put that swell in bar three or whatever. So it hits that But you know, you can't do that if you're recording away from picture. So, um, but it, there's this thing, there's a phenomenon now. I mean, pictures just kind of almost evolving until the it's delivered there's never there's never a locked picture it's like a soft lock picture so very often like you're recording to something that's still being edited so what you're recording requires immense change to make it work to picture anyway it was amazing we interviewed this is a couple of years already steve jablonski working with michael bay and i forget the movie that it was but um you know michael bay well known for lots of explosions in his movie, lots of lots of effects, and uh, and so Steve would start spotting the film with Michael Bay, and he would say, "Oh, that's going to be in it. That that'll be a giant, you know, thing there, and then that'll be a thing there. So make some room for that there. Except none of it's there yet. So so it's just <laughs> like you know, you're scoring a thing that doesn't yet exist, and maybe it's uh it's a little of that, which is like, okay, well, I have to anticipate." certain changes that I know will be coming down the line. Oh, that's, that's the thing that's incredible though, with the volume, like, you know, the, the, I'm, I feel it's like, Oh my gosh, I, you know, you watch Obi and it's like, cause they've got this huge, I don't know how much it costs this like huge stage that projects sort of such high quality background onto that. It, it's just, they don't, they don't do green screen anymore. So they're sort of in that world. And I think, um, yeah, that that's kind of incredible. The technology is developing all the time, so you, you you're seeing more and more, you know, high high quality kind of things to work with when when you get these this footage through. And like Obi, I just watched it the rough cut of it um, in December when I got offered the job, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this is just so good. Like I you know I haven't I I even if I you know. It's just already so good, so watchable. Um, How much did they let you see early I on? All six episodes. When really? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. Now, were they? Do you know how they came across you? Was this because of Loki? Was this because of something else? Um, I think. Oh, I, I think it was Loki. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, because there was, of course, there was like this crazy after Loki happens. There was like some online petition, like I don't know. It was like started on Twitter. It was like Natalie should score a Star Wars series because I said in an interview. Oh, really? Okay. And it was like a petition, and it got quite a high number of um, votes. And then I think that got back to Lucasfilm, and then I suddenly found myself having an interview with Deborah um, for everyone. (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So maybe there's some. There's some actual, see, I always assume that with most of those things, no one really sees them, you know, especially now. Cause it's like, there's a petition for everything and Hey, yeah. but then you get these crazy things like that Sonic movie, you know, a couple years ago and someone, people organize and they say, we don't like the way Sonic looks. And, uh, and the company says, all right, well then we'll change it. It's like, oh wait, you are listening sometimes. 
So, well, I think Marvel, Marvel and Lucasfilm are just—they're so—they they know how much their fans are, like how important they are. Um, you know, their franchises are built on on their fan base response and love. So they they want to please their fans. Like that's that 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 was a constant, particularly with Obi. Um, like, what will the fans think of this? Like, oh, we can, we can't do this, la la la, and. Um, there's such a kind of legacy. I mean, that was the thing that you, just, you feel just like you're pinching yourself. Like, oh, can't believe I'm becoming part of this because it's it's. I mean, John Williams has been working on these these themes with these characters for like forty years. And so, you just mentioned ET being one of these yeah. influential things as a as a kid. And so, yeah, it is pretty pretty crazy and surreal. Well, look, you are the first. A woman to score a live action Star Wars film. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I know this episode is dropping around the fourth episode of, uh, of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So no spoilers, obviously, but, um, but what was that experience like working on, you know, a Star Wars story? I mean, this is kind of the Holy grail. Um, it, it was just overwhelming at times, just, yeah, like that thing you were saying about like, oh my gosh, this is like knowing how enormous this job is, like, and how beloved Ewan's character is as well, and and yes, yeah, seeing his 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 performance, I think is just he's just giving it everything. He's just giving Obi this huge depth that we haven't seen before, and then there are all these legacy characters involved as well. And oh my gosh, it's it's just like. I can't believe I'm writing music in a scene with this character who I've like watched since I was a kid. Like this is just crazy and I'm I'm a big fan. So um yeah, there were times where I was like, oh my gosh. And it <laughs> must have been a thrill to be able to like just be quoting some of these motifs <laughs> that are um, like they're legendary. They are legendary. Um it there's there's so where the the series is set is is before a new hope and after the you know uh so it's, it's kind of leading to that place so we were being quite careful that we weren't like we we kind of got to the place of where those themes are in their genesis by the end of the series but at the beginning it you know we, we, we're again we're seeding but it's like yeah like the thing we were talking about with loki where you're like seeding big ideas that are leading you to episode six and this was the same thing except those ideas were leading to john williams so oh it's amazing um, yeah yeah it's amazing and it and it's just like I, he's incredible like um i i was uh working on the show and then his involvement became clear like there was even when i when i had the um interview for the job it was like working with john williams and it was it was always kind of part of the job and um, but it was like how much would be unclear and and then when when it was like this he's writing Obi a new theme it was like oh my gosh and it, it was just like I got sent the piano music from him and I, I was like no this like because the director <laughs> this can't, can't be real and you know it was like I'm one of the only people who who has access to this piano sketch that shows that, that's going to be Obi's new theme. And that was a real thrill. And then um, they said, Oh, John's recording. He's going to be recording and you're, you can, you're invited. So I was like, of course I sat there at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> watching and it was his 90th birthday. So 
um, like he kind of raised up to start conducting and everybody played happy birthday to him. 90, turning 90 yeah. conducting, still working like that, still delivering like such incredible themes. Um, yeah, it's inspiring. Um, everyone should check out Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is uh, coming out now. Um, I think there's a couple episodes left. All of this, Loki obviously is up for... Emmy consideration now. Really cool score. Everyone should check that out and listen to it. And uh, what else do you have in the works? Um, well, yeah, a few things like um, a Fox movie coming out in the summer and uh, working on a Warner Brothers project as well. So, yeah, all exciting stuff. And Loki season two. <laughs> Are you underway with that yet or it's it's getting they close? Filming. They've just started filming. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, pretty soon. Um, Natalie, this was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks very much.